Hello and good evening and welcome to Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. I'm Lauren from Swansea in the United Kingdom and with me, as always, is... It's Brian in Buffalo, New York, USA. That's right, Buffalo is still here. We're not going anywhere. Before we get going, Lauren, before I start rambling and say something, you know, bad, because I tend to do that, I again want to thank everybody, everybody who listens, who sent messages in, their support for Buffalo, all that. It's really appreciated. It means a lot. Great city. We're not going to let this. Uh, we're not going to let this ruin us. But anyway, Lauren, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yes, very busy. Yeah, Miss Busy, you running around and you're on buses and trains and. I don't know, you want a motor scooter or a Vespa or anything? No. No Vespa? No Vespa, no. That'd be pretty cool, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, you're not allowed to take those on motorways, so I I don't think I'd be able to get to work unless I went the really long way around. Did you ever see um, Waking Ned Divine? No. Oh, great Irish film from probably about 20 years ago. You should look it up, but there's this nasty old woman who rides around on a little motor scooter the whole time. All the cars blowing past her on the road, but she's always just puttering along. I picture you doing that sometimes. Oh, not, thank you. Not that you're the nasty old woman. You're the yeah, joyous, yeah, wonderful yeah. young woman. Just, you're always, like, on these adventures with, like, hopping trains and buses and things. And I just picture, like, you just looking exhausted with cars blowing past you. <laughs> you're just like, Ugh. am I wrong? No, I wouldn't say you're wrong there. But today was a good day. It was a lot of fun. I got to show you something, Lauren. I'm very happy. You want to see? Can you see me on my camera? I can. I was wondering why you uh, got it. Oh, you've got your uh, Q radio. It's Q. Not QAnon. Oh. Talk to Q. Quincy, our dear friend Quincy Shelton. I know, I can't believe people confuse it with QAnon. But I yeah, mean, that my Talk to Q t-shirt I am wearing and representing. And I just want you to know that these t-shirts are available. You can get them on Public. I think there's another show's t-shirt you can get on Public. <clears throat> there's a link in the description. I wouldn't know that show. I wouldn't know that show. My Talk to Q shirt's in and I'm wearing it. You were a guest on Quincy's show. I was. I was a guest all by myself when this obnoxious person came on and tried to steal the thunder of that appearance. <laughs> that was funny. So what else is going on, Lauren, other than being super busy? Um, I got elected um, associate, um, oh gosh. Associate Fellow of the Royal Historical Society. I got elected. I don't know what it was. You want to you wanna do a take two on that, Lauren? I'm keeping take one in anyway, but go ahead. Do a take two. Um, I got elected as Associate Fellow of the Royal Historical Society this week, Brian. Well, that's awesome. I know. You know who didn't get elected there? You. Me. Actually, I don't know if you can because well i think you can because but you should you should be able to go straight to um 
a full fellowship because you're a published author. I think uh, someone has to nominate me. Um, you write out the application, but if you you have to have a sponsor for a fellowship. I have to have a sponsor. It's like AA. You gotta have a sponsor. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. All I know is that I was so proud when I saw that. You deserve it, and that's thank that's you. Amazing. But I think I we should re- redo the intro to this show because um, you didn't introduce me as the magnificently voiced Brian Young, and <laughs> a little, <laughs> little offended it, by that. Is that is that? Oh no, I, I was going to ask that because I've not checked in a bit. But um, that's how Carl Kopak referred to you um, in the East End Conference. Yes, and tell Carl my check is in the mail. He'll get it soon. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> Are the are the um, talks up then? Because I've not, I've not. I don't know. I I haven't right. seen. Because uh... I was going to say, oh, you've heard it. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but I've been told by a few people that messaged me that were at the conference that you're the magnificently <laughs> voiced Brian. <laughs> yeah, you were. Yeah, he was. He's very jealous of your voice. Well, who isn't? I mean, let's face it. So, have we had any? fan mail this week or any requests to shut up <laughs> no the all the mail we've got in this last couple of weeks has been about what's going on in buffalo and as yeah. i said I'll, you know i appreciate all of it uh, none of it's been negative which is a, a, that's a first for for emails for the show <laughs> uh the only thing people did say uh they've loved the last few episodes and they're really gonna love tonight's episode Oh, absolutely, they are. My mother has said that she thinks Neil was making fun of her a little bit, but she does love Neil. She doesn't like the spooky stuff, though. She said the scary episode she doesn't like because they scare her, but she would listen to Neil read the phone book. So we got that going for us. And that'll be the next episode, folks. Neil's story will come out and read the phone book. No. 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 So many GDPR issues there, Brian, like releasing public. Yeah, that's probably yeah, true. No. Though I don't know, because it's published in a phone book, would it be an issue? I don't know. Do they even have phone books anymore? Um, They do. They have, yes, they have little ones, like if you want a plumber or a gardener and stuff like that. But You know, you have just set me up to go on a rant. Oh, goodness. Because you mentioned a plumber. And, you know, things usually upset me. I always have something stuck in my craw. Yes. Not today. Today I'm quite happy. You want to know why, Lauren? I don't know why, Brian. You know, as historians, and we've been to a lot of events having to do with history and dealing with history, and don't you hate it when people, well, maybe you don't hate it, but you know how people will come up and say, oh, I wish I lived at that time? No, you don't. You don't wish you lived at that time. No, I don't. But you, you know how people always say that. No matter what time in history you're doing a presentation, up, there's always someone there going, oh, I wish I lived back then. Because they really don't know how shitty it was. I mean, there was no penicillin. Yes, exactly. Very so, you know, oh, and there would have been no, um, no, no hand sanitizer. Um, and like going to the dentist would be extreme and like, um, everything could pretty much kill you. 
sort of like Australia. Yeah, I wouldn't compare it to Australia because Australia is extreme. That's true. So I, I wouldn't. I would say, yeah, the past is like Australia. It could kill you. Well, I personally am very thrilled to be living in the time I'm living in, and never more so than with what I just discovered. Oh God! There is something on the market now. There's a product that is a game changer. This is going to change society. Now, Lauren, you know me. You know I have severe sciatic nerve problems. Yes. And there are times that I'm, like, crippled in pain with my back and, and my, my legs. You know, there's been times we've had to cancel recordings because I couldn't get up. Oh, no, there's one time we had to record and you were... Um... I, I don't think this was a guest, but I think this was a time during the pandemic when we were recording multiple times a week and we were going to record multiple um, introductions. And I think you did that lying down yes, on you either the that? floor or on your settee. Well, there is a product on the market now that I think was tailor-made for people like me, but I think this benefits all of mankind. You remember those science fiction films in the 50s when they'd always say, I'm going to invent something that's going to change mankind. It's been done. And Lauren, do you have your your phone or or internet access right near you? Yes, I do. Go on to Amazon.com right now and type in what I tell you to type in. It's not the gummy bears, is it? No. Better. (laughs) They're that because... If people want to lose a couple of hours, then, yeah, um, sugar, sugar-free sugar gummy bears That's it, the way to go. No. And everyone listening, my advice now is to go on to okay. Amazon or whatever so, shopping place you use. Amazon is in front of me. And type in the words, bathroom buddy. Oh, goodness. Yep. A wipe extender. Oh, is it? It's a wipe you extender. You do realize this is for cleaning your shower, not you. No, it's a wipe extender, Lauren. It gives you 15 extra inches to reach while wiping. <laughs> do you understand how this revolutionizes pooping? Oh, no, that's not coming up with me. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, it, it, it is now, but the one that came up to me first was like a squeegee for cleaning your shower. No, no. Oh. So, yes, it is when I when I um, go down. Yes, self-assist toilet aids. Self-assist toilet mobility aid self-wipe assistant. Has uh, three and a half stars. It's got about three million and a half stars as far as I'm concerned. Because this game changer, Lauren. No longer, when my sciaticas bother me, am I going to have to wipe while striking the pose of Captain Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a visual you needed, isn't it? Yes. I found something out recently. You know, there there are two primary methods of wiping. There is the standing and sitting method. And surprisingly, it's pretty much split half and half. And the people who are standers don't understand the sitters, and the sitters don't understand the standers. Maybe we should do a show on that, Lauren. What do you think? I'm just reading the comments, and it's it's everything that I dreamed it would be. Oh, yeah. You're going to order one, aren't you? No, no. I, I think 
we're going to have to pitch a, pitch them to be a sponsor for the show. No. I want to be Transatlantic History Ramblings brought to you by the Bathroom Buddy. <laughs> no. No longer no. striking the Captain Morgan pose to white. But if we do that, we have to have Doug do it, Doug Mort, in I, a, an old-time way. I, I don't care. Yeah. All I know is that this is a game-changer. And I think oh, I'm quite sad though that this has descended into this com- type of conversation when I have lined up a lovely interview about well, a lovely book that I've read. A brilliant book, which yeah. I you could read while on the toilet. <laughs> because a lot of people read on the toilet. Oh, will you stop that now? You don't read on the toilet. No. Not even a magazine. No. Really? Theo watches his phone on the toilet. Well, he's yeah. In there, he's, he's in there for ages. I'm sure that's what most people do nowadays. This younger generation, they're watching YouTube videos while dropping a deuce. You know us old fogies, we read. Yeah, no. So you're like in that in-between age where you didn't do anything? Not even like a shampoo bottle or anything? I no. I need something to read. Do you sing in the shower? No. You are a boring bathroom person, Lauren. Yes. Ah. Yes, I am. All I know is that this 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 invention makes me so happy to be living at this time. I'm just really sad that I, you know, my New Year's resolution was to bring more literature to the show. You know, after we after that, you know, we had really successful interviews with authors last year. Adds and we are AJ West, and I thought we need to do more of that. And you know, I sort of gained the skills of having the confidence to ask for books from when I worked in the bookstore. And now we are talking about bathroom aids as we're going to talk about an amazing book. Well, that's why the show is split into two. And there is always a link in the description that you could skip the ramblings and go right to the interview. I'm just saying, as a history person, I am so happy to be living in a time when this is available. Yeah, but the thing is, is that people did have these things. They're called servants. Well, that's just wrong. I mean, I remember last week we were talking about His Royal Highness pooping his pantaloons. And he was an infant, so that that makes sense. But adults shouldn't have servants to do that. And who needs them with the bathroom buddy? (laughs) Should we go on to another topic? I think you're being paid by these people to promote it. I wish. I wish they would just send me one. That would be wonderful. Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you, when my sciatica acts up, you know, this is one of those things people don't think about. When you have back spasms or problems, you don't think of the little things like that, the everyday things that people do that you can't do. Is, is, I bet even Cleopatra is judging you right now. Yeah, she just turned her back on me. She's like, yeah, just get a litter goal. box, Daddy. Yeah. Get somebody else to pick it up. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about, why I'm so happy that I that nothing stuck in my craw this week, is the return of the kids in the hall. The greatest sketch comedy troupe of all time put out their first ser- series in close to 30 years. And it's brilliant. On Amazon Prime, 
All eight episodes are absolutely brilliant. I was in hysterics the whole time. Um, and I go back to the late 80s with the kids in the hall. I remember going up to Toronto to see their show being taped when it was initially on. See them back after all these years, as funny as ever. It just makes me happy. So see, Lauren, nothing stuck in my crawl this week. So you got a bitch about something. Oh, no, I don't have anything to moan about. Nothing? No. Not even me talking about the bathroom, buddy? I did I did sort of moan about that, so that's out of my system now. That's yeah. <clears throat> You've passed it. <laughs> yeah. So I think we better tell everybody why we're gathered here this evening. Well, yeah, actually, we do have a brilliant interview with yes. a first-time novelist. Yes, E.S. Blake. Yes, E.S. Blake, who, as you'll discover during the show, is good at everything in the world. Yes, it's a fantastic book, um, and it centers around Charles Franklin, who is a uh, who starts the novel off as a family portrait, uh, portraiture uh, photog- uh, photographer. And then as the novel goes on and um, he and as the back of the book describes and as he descends into the macabre Victorian world of postmortem photography, initially Charles is repulsed by his new profession and the corpses that become his clients. But soon he finds an artistry within it that inspires him. Yet the work makes him a recluse ostracized from the community to them. Sorry, ostracized from the community. To them, he is the death photographer, someone to be feared and avoided. However, when the coachman turns up at his door with a seven-year-old girl, Charles is given a second chance at life and redemption. And it's by Marot's books, and it is due to be published, I think, this week. Yeah, we recorded the interview about a week or so ago. But, you know, due to things going on, things got pushed back and delayed. So he mentions it not coming out yet. But as you're listening to this, it is available, I believe. So if you all go on to, I don't even think you have to go to Amazon UK. No, I think um, you can go to directly to Marot's website. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way you're spelling um, Marot um, is M-A-R-O-T-T-E. And I think it's um, um, it's marotsbooks.com. Yeah, or... And they have a selection of fiction books and non-fiction books um and the photographer will be among them and i think if i remember correctly there was an option to have them signed and um personalized sorry i'm forgetting words no that's okay it's because the you know a lot on your mind there's all these new wonderful products on the market shut up Brian. <laughs> but seriously uh, also the book is available on amazon I know it's Amazon UK. I'm pretty sure in Amazon.com in the U.S. you could at least get a Kindle version of it, but definitely worth picking up. It's a it's a yeah. great great read. And 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 it's so it was so intriguing to me because we have spent um a, um a few episodes this year discussing photography and early photography, and it's always been there at the forefront of um, some of our most important discussions of the past nearly six months now, which is kind of scary that we're six months into, um, well, nearly six months into 2022. So um, it sort of continues our theme of photography there um, and why I was intrigued with it in the first place. But it's 
I, I think it was the story of how um, you know of what had, what could go wrong for somebody that they turn their back on on what was a lucrative career in family portraiture to um, post-mortem photography, which again you know I didn't quite understand was as lucrative or as specialised as it was. I thought it was something that was more of a curiosity, um, but as as you will discover through the character's story, that it is such beautiful and um it's just it's just a beautiful pardon the pun snapshot of somebody's of a a creative person's life um in in um 1863 so you're in the mid 19th century there so it's it's a beautiful book and i can't wait for you to um hear us discuss it but we do have other business to discuss before we go on to that Oh, do we? Oh, we do. We have our Todays in History. Our what? Today in History. <laughs> That's better, Lauren. Yeah, what you got you. for me? Okay, so mine is uh, the 24th of May, 1844. Uh, Mr. Samuel F.B. Morse transmitted the message what hath God wrought from Washington to Baltimore as he formally opened America's first telegraph line. Okay. First off, that was almost my day in history. (laughs) It really was. And I'll tell you why. Because... That we're, happens quite a lot. You don't get to hear them, but we, uh, but we end up going, oh, that was mine. It's because true. We, yeah. <laughs> now, the reason that was almost my day in history is because I was thinking when I saw that, that that was today. Yes. How cool is it that, you know, we're sitting an ocean apart. I know. Totally different time zones, different continents. And here we are using technology to talk to each other in real time. Yes. And it was only not that long ago, if you're talking yep. about history, 1844, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, it's not that long ago. If you're talking about the book that we're talking about, it's um, 19 years before the book that we are reading starts. Exactly. And there mm. they were sending the first telegraph. Yes. However, I, do you know why I didn't choose? Because something sports-related... No, because there's this propaganda and lies claiming what his first message was. Uh, I'm going to educate you in the audience on this right now. Well, that would be very good. Because what does it claim he said? Um, It claims that he said, what hath God wrought. Which is not true. Anybody's history knows... His very first message was, everybody's going to get shit-faced! <laughs> that was, the, what God hath wrought might have been the second message. <laughs> that followed, everybody's going to get shit-faced. <laughs> everybody's going to get shit-faced was the first message Samuel Moore sent. Well, I think we've got a confession to make about that, because that was an Easter egg, wasn't it? It was at one point an Easter egg. (laughs) But yeah, that's the main reason I didn't choose that as my day in history. Yeah, 
Because I thought, because you said that in the episode, didn't you? Everybody's going to get shit Everybody's going to get shit faced. And then I said to you, wouldn't it be funny that if I did it in the way that you said it and it was an Easter egg and then somebody did spit their coffee out when they heard it? Remember we had the email? <laughs> we did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That uh, everybody's going to get shit faced was the initial message sent. And uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know if you believe me. Um. Well, I mean, you know, um, those Republicans can, you know, sort of bring God into anything. So, yeah. who knows? I, who knows? I, what he said. Yeah. Probably. I think it was lost somewhere in translation and they mistook it for what God hath wrought. Which was, uh, I think, 1920s code for everybody's going to get you. <laughs> I think that's what you God said at the wrote, speakeasy door. Uh, what hath God wrought was him describing the monumental session that they were going to have where everybody got shit-faced. It was, it was a session so boozy that God wrought it. What's your day in history? Because we're keeping, we're keeping the uh, interviewee waiting there. Okay, my day in history is day in history. May 24th, 1964, the Beatles have their fourth appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show, where they actually do a pre-recorded performance of You Can't Do That. And it is this during this interview that John Lennon says everybody's going to get shit-faced. Well, actually, I think it was George that said that. Yeah, I, I think John dared him to do it. Though. And John just said, that's right. Well, it's true. Yeah, that, sound, that sounded more that sounded more Ringo style than did. John. Yeah, John would have to be a little bit more nasally. Yeah, I should really stop doing that. We have too many listeners in Liverpool, and I do a bad Liverpool accent. Yeah. Do you want to know something funny? You know that I worked in the bookshop over Christmas. Is that a fact? Yes, that is a fact. Um. Well, unfortunately, um, they weren't able to keep me on because this Christmas is quiet. But if they had been able to keep me on and I was working yesterday, I would have met Alice Cooper. Really? He was at your yeah. bookstore? Yeah, he was at, yeah. I still think it was mine because I'm part of the book blogging collective now. So hello, anybody that's listening, because you found our link um, through that avenue. I'm very sorry for Brian talking about the bathroom. And you're and you're welcome for Brian talking about the bathroom because I bet you they've all ordered it. Maybe they haven't. <laughs> yeah, that was quite amusing. But I love my job in the museum. So maybe he'll drop into the museum. He should. If he's there, he should drop into the museum. I saw, yeah. I've seen Alice many times in concert, but he puts on such a great show to this day. For my money... His albums from 1968 to 1977, very, very little music in that time span that was better. Some of the greatest albums in rock and roll history were from the originally from the Alice Cooper band, and then Alice Cooper is a solo artist. I love his other stuff too. I'm not saying that he went to shit after that, but I'm saying from 68 to like 77, some of the greatest albums ever recorded. Well, I think we better get on with our interview now yes and we're not going to do it via morse code we're not going to do it via telegraph nobody's getting shit face lauren unless there's something you're not telling me 
Well, then you'll have to listen to the interview and see, Brian. That's true. But, yeah, we're going to bring on comedian, writer, all-around great guy, and first-time novelist. Oh, soon to be filmmaker, too. Yes. But first-time novelist. And let me tell you something. Talk about hitting a home run out of the gate. This really is a book you got to pick up, folks. So let me fire up the magic interview box. It's the magic interview box. And we're going to bring on Mr. E.S. Blake. Flip the switch, Lauren. Oh, Lauren, Lauren, Lauren. We, and I'm including me as part of the listening audience this time, have you to thank for this because you brought a little book to my attention. I did. And a certain author to my attention and said, we have to book this guy. I did. And I said, uh, yes, we do. Um, we instantly have to do that. And we managed to get E.S. Blake to actually agree to come on. So, Lauren, we're going to bring him on in one second, but why don't you uh, give a you know little bit of info on the book, what the book's called. And where to get it, because you have all that information in front of you. And then we'll, 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 we'll get talking, because yeah. I have a million questions. So the book is called The Photographer by Marot, Marot Books. And it is the story of Charles Franklin, who is a up-and-coming, rising portrait um, art photographer. Cool. Um, but then... Um, a bit like a bit like the Joker, he has one very bad day and his <laughs> life goes terribly wrong. And then he gets um, his employer is very well meaning in this, but he introduces him to the world of post mortem photography. Oh, let's leave it there and uh, yeah, get some suspense going. Yeah, so beautiful, beautiful book, Lauren. Again, thank you. And I'm gonna press that button, and we're gonna bring the amazing E.S. Blake, onto the show to discuss the photographer. Welcome, E.S. Blake. Welcome to Transatlantic History Ramblings. Hello, hello. It's lovely to be here. So uh, where, where am I? Am I am I, I'm, I'm in the middle between the two of you, am I? In, I in theory. Well, I think you're closer to Lauren, judging by your accent. That's probably true. Because yes. I'm all the way across the water in Buffalo, New York, U.S. of A. Um, the oh, very okay. mournful, mournful Buffalo, New York, U.S. of A. now. But Lauren is in Swansea. And wh- where are you now? I am. Oh, I, I'm, I'm actually further. I'm, I'm on, I'm on the, the, the east of both of you. I'm, I'm in just outside London, just in, near Richmond. I'm in, I'm in London, basically. I'm in London. Yeah, closer to Lauren. Yeah. Lauren can get on a train and visit you. I gotta fly. <laughs> that's that's or uh, swim. Yeah. That would that would be impressive. That would be very impressive. Right. Yeah, that would be impressive. Yes, especially since I can't there. swim. <laughs> so, I, I I don't want to call you ES because that just makes me sound. Um, call me call me Earl. You call me Earl. Can I call you Blakey? <laughs> Call me, call me whatever you like. <laughs> oh, don't say that. I don't think that you should call him Blakey because in England it has... Um, I, I don't know if you've ever saw On the Buses. No. That's, that's, that's a reference from a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, 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 um, the ticket, like the 
their sort of enemy was the uh, inspector called Blakey. So I don't think that is, is nice. No, I, we'll go I with Earl. Like a, like a, like a very different <laughs> kind of historical rambling. Yeah. <laughs> Earl, you have really... Is this your first novel? This is this is my this is my first serious bit of prose writing. I, I've written a lot of comedy before. I'm, I'm a I've written comedy all, all my life, but this is my first uh, serious uh, fiction. Yes, comedy. Okay, make me laugh now. Go. Uh, this is this is the, that's the great thing. I feel like this is my um now now I've got this book out. I can take some time off. I can not be funny for a while. It's beautiful. And you know that's going to make you blow up because you know. William Peter Blatty was a comedy writer till he did The Exorcist. Really? Didn't he do some? Didn't he do a few? Was it? Was it? I didn't know that. He was did a he comedy screenwriter. Films? He wrote films for Blake Edwards. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and look what happened there. It's it's going to go very well for me. I can see. Or you're going to get possessed by the devil. One of the two. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's okay. I don't believe in the devil. You're safe. So. Good, 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 good. What made you decide to to you know hang up the comedy hat and go into some serious historical fiction? Because and, and when I say serious, it's a pretty serious book. It is. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's funny because I, I think because I, I I used to do stand up and things, and it's I think with comedy you can only there's only so much you can talk about you know you can you can talk about things it's a very literal art form and and you, and you can talk things about things very directly so but I just had stories I wanted to tell that were you know dealt dealt with different aspects of you know the human human experience in just in in a more you know narrative way so I kind of got inspired I think when I actually I when I first saw some post mortem pictures and. Um, you know, I, I'd always loved Victor, you know, Victorian literature and, you know, a lot of the Victorian era. I, you know, I loved Dickens when I was younger and, and I just sort of all came together in my head as this, this, there was a real story in this. And there was something really, there was something really powerful about those pictures. I think it's the fact that, you know, they're, they're, they're both amazing, but just, they're, they're just so disturbing. I don't, have you, have you actually seen the pictures, these kind of pictures? Yes. And it's just, there's something. We so actually had the, yeah. Go on, sorry. We actually had sorry. We had an episode based about based on whether uh, a photograph was actually a postmortem fo- photograph oh, yes. of Abraham Lincoln oh, yeah. um, the beginning of this year. Wow. Yeah. No. It's 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 because there's yeah they're, they're just such a disturbing thing to look at. And it's just you you almost even though something's wrong you almost have to sort of remind yourself that the person's dead. <laughs> and I just thought. Um, and one thing I'm really interested in as well, I think, is the idea of, you know, representation and the fact that, we, you know, we live in a society the way we just live our lives vicariously through images and through, you know, representations of ourselves, particularly online, you know, and, you know, with, with Instagram and all, all these things, it's, it's sort of it's sort of taken over our existence. And I thought those photographs were in a way as sort of um, not ancient, but a but a but a kind of proto prototypical version of that where where it was you know the image became the reality and actually became took priority to the reality so even you know either the people were dead you know the fact that there was this image could be produced it almost sort of resurrected them in a sense so i just thought it, i just thought it was kind of both an amazing historical 
you know, um, thing happened, but but also but also incredibly relevant to where we are now. Well, you're right, um, <clears throat> especially with Victorian postmortem photography. You're talking about the infancy of photography. Yeah, yeah. For the first time, people were immortalized on film, even though it was after their death. It's it's a very creepy yet fascinating thing to think about. Mm. And as far as getting out of stand-up comedy, I mean, there is only so far you can go before Will Smith slaps the shit out of you. So Exactly. He, he actually he actually punched me a few times, and that's why I gave up. I didn't want to say it. He was, he was warming up for the Chris Rock gig and gave me a few kicks and punches, saw, saw what did the most damage, and then, um, and then I, I, I gave up comedy. That's how it worked. Well, it's a good thing he did it more recently, you know, instead of when he was training for the movie Ali, because he'd have fucked you it. up then. Tell me about it. Lauren and I actually initially met through historical crime research. Uh, okay. And a lot of it was Victorian crime, primarily the, um, the, the, the East End murders of 1888 or the Whitechapel murders, the Jack the Ripper crimes, where post-mortem photography was used very early on. So we're both very familiar with it, and, and, and we know people who have studied it their whole lives. And the way, it, in your novel, I don't want to give too much away, because people, you got to buy this book and read it. It's really, it's, it's, it's just so fascinating. But your character doesn't start out as a postmortem photographer. True, 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 true. Which is a really interesting way he gets into that business. You have him start out as a standard portrait photographer. Was that something yeah. that you got really interested in, too, or was, was the was the initial spark for you the post-mortem photographs? The initial spark was definitely the, post, the post-mortem, but then I sort of, um, the more I looked into Victorian photography, I just, I just think there's something so fascinating I'm, I'm actually desperate to do some some wet plate photography i just i there's i've found places that do courses and i really want to do it but i'm terrified that um because you know a lot of the chemicals are poisonous and i'm terrified that i'll have stuff in my house that my kids will die but um yeah. you know there's I, always I, that there's I mean, always that yeah um but there's uh yeah i, I, I just I, I just think there's something i don't know it's interesting isn't it because photography is so disposable to us now it's almost you know just we take so many pictures and a photograph almost doesn't mean anything and it's but but just the effort it's it's almost like almost like magic isn't it i don't know if you ever read anything about um kind of occultish occultist sort of magic no, me never no well, <laughs> but you know the, yeah I'm, the, I'm, I'm pretty i'm pretty uh, well versed on that yeah, <laughs> yeah, but the the idea that people, I think, you, you know, something create you create meaning through effort into a sort of ritual or into, you know, or into, you know, if 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 one of those sort of magicians was trying to make a potion, they would, you know, they're they're cre- they're creating trying to create meaning through their through effort, and I th- I think there's something very similar to that, very akin to that in you know in in wet plate photography, the fact that it is so effortful to make this single image and you know it's so fragile and it's just 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 tilting the plate slightly differently would make a different image or you know it's 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 just fascinatingly real and um visceral 
I, I understand what you mean, um, because I've never done wet plate photography, but when I did my AS and A-levels, I did photography, and we had to develop our own film. Yeah. And it was it, it, a bit similar than that, because the, the, the negatives are so fragile until you develop them correctly. And, you know, there's always this anxiety that it could go wrong, and you could change the way that the picture looked by using the different filters, or you know and you could then all your efforts could be ruined if you left it too long or too too short a time in the chemicals it's just it, it was very there was a fragility about it a bit like life really yeah de- definitely when, I, I, yeah. I, I, I did it at university well not not as not as a course but i just they had a dark room there and i did yeah i did the same thing it's it's a just and just see just seeing the um the the uh you know the prints actually appear is just really amazing isn't it when you see it in real, it in is yeah i uh majored in advertising a lot of it was photography i'm old people this was before we had digital cameras this was before we had cell phone cameras you know this was mostly 35 millimeter where we did all our own dark room and developing and processing and you know changing the results of photographs by altering negatives i mean it's not that it's not ancient history that it you you pointed out something earlier you said photography and pictures are so disposable to us now they're just there we all take pictures of our meals to post on fucking social media mm. and i i'm i'm you know, 47 years old um i'm under 50 i'll say that <laughs> And if I'm looking for pictures from my childhood, like the first five years of my life, there's only a handful of them. And yet, kids born today have dozens of pictures taken of them every day. So this is, I I don't think people of a certain, below a certain age understand how important the photograph was, especially when it was brand new. Which is yeah. what your character's into. I mean, he is in the early stages of this brand new magical mystical medium. Yeah, like interestingly, there was you know they, they had already sort of um, come on a bit by this time. You know, there, there'd been different you know different kinds before this as well. Was it uh, daguerreotypes or something? I don't know how to pronounce it. Yes. The, 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 you had you know so it was this again was still a technological advancement and it, it was a very small period in which I had to which I could possibly have set the book where um, because there is a bit of a, a time skip in the middle let's say where, you know and, and just keeping it within within this time frame before other technologies took over was quite was quite tight really it's quite interesting. See now that's why in historical fiction you should always put a time travel element in like everyone else does in historical fiction. So you could do, and then he came back with a digital camera. No, that's, and I wanted to say, that's what I really liked about this. You didn't go with any of the cliches from so many historical fiction books. Oh, well, that's good. I I see. I'm not, I I, am, see, I don't read much. I read old, I will read um, sort of old books, like classics, but I don't really read sort of much modern historical fiction. Um, I did read one with time travel actually recently, Kindred, have you read Kindred by Octavia Butler? I have not read it, but I'm sure Lauren has. 
Oh, it's no, like, I haven't. No, it's so. It, when that's a time travel book. It's a more sci-fi book, but it's it's so good. It's um yeah, it's brilliant. But it's it's about it's about a a black woman in the seventies who travels back in time to the I don't know if it's the eighteen seventies, but basically is suddenly taken for a slave by everybody. So it's a really but it's a really like amazing book on on slavery but 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 with a really modern even though it's 50 you know 50 years old it's just got a very modern perspective that you see it through it's really fantastic recommend it to anybody yeah and i recommend your book to everybody because oh, thank you very much it well read, read mine first and then read this classic from the 70s yes absolutely <laughs> and like i said you avoid the cliches which maybe it's because you don't read much historical fiction which is good on you you're avoiding the cliches of a genre and you've created a new voice which is fantastic that's that's good to hear and when lauren is praising you to me with the time zone difference at three in the morning constantly going brian this book is amazing brian you got to read this this book is amazing and lauren's a harsh critic you've done (laughs) something (laughs) yeah it's you can um you can tell that um that you've read older historical fiction or older older novels because i love the 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 little description underneath the to, uh, the chapters i think that's wonderful and i enjoy them okay, so much because um, uh, they because i buy a lot of books from um persephone bookshop which is um they're not historical novels but they're novels written by women from different periods of time and a lot of them have that as well and it's just so lovely and it um, reminded me of a book that I read at the end of last year The Spirit Engineer by AJ West Um, um, his character is a spiritualist who is um, dealing with grief Um, and it's it's just the way that you both capture grief is just so beautiful and it's um, the way that you know grief is dealt with is just so different in both books, but it's so realistic. There's so much verisimilitude in it, and it's just beautiful. It's gorgeous. Oh well, I'll check that out. The, the spirit engineer. It's someone yeah. down with a pencil. That's how high tech I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just, I it, as well with your book as well. It just shows you that you know people well-meaning. You know when um, he's taken away from portrait photograph photography because he mostly deals with families and you know his employer is well-meaning and then he gets caught up with and stuck with death and that happens to you at some point when you're grieving because when death is new and you know you're with your family and you're arranging the funeral and all you're thinking about is the person that has passed away and you're trying to make everything right for them and you know the funeral is the last thing you can do for them you do enter this little bubble where you are stuck with the dead and that's just the cycle that charles gets stuck in he gets stuck with the dead yeah 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 definitely and i think that's 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 a really interesting observation about how that happens to everybody yeah um but that's no that's definitely what i what i wanted and um but yeah to to sort of but hopefully hopefully isn't Hopefully it's interesting enough to not be uh, too depressing. <laughs> no, no, it's beautiful as well because it's just so human, um, you know, the the way that, um, you know, he's, by the end of the book, he's brought back to life and he can reestablish himself. Yeah. And it's not in a conventional way. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just, you know, this unexpected thing that happens, you know, to two people is like this spark of life is is given to them 
yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, that's that's really. I'm re- really glad. Uh, glad you felt that way. That's great. So I'm curious to your inspiration. Um, what inspired you to go this route? I mean, is it is it like a germ of an idea that kicked around in your head about loss and, and redemption, or was it? Did you stumble upon something about? Victorian photography and it just boom blew up with this idea because you paint such a vivid picture that I'm trying to figure out I like to get in the head of authors before I talk to them because I'm a crazy <laughs> what was the inspiration what was the spark was it the photography or the human relationship I mean where did you draw the initial inspiration well, I think I think it's always like it, for me, it's it's always when I when I have an idea, that spark. I, if if the spark sits with you for you know, it's, if if the sort of idea sits with you for a while, it's usually got something to it. And it's I often think like you know, a lot of the research people talk about the research in very um, sort of practical terms about like you know finding out what, you know what happened on what day and what year. But but actually, like a lot of the research for me is sort of like really sitting down and thinking what is behind that idea and why do I, why do I care about that idea? And, um, and what, why does it resonate me with me? Why is it powerful? And then I think, and then I think really the characters sort of come from, from that sort of understanding of the theme that you're trying to deal with really, you know, and, and so Charles is obviously, is obviously the main character. And I think, I think his, his journey is ob- was obviously, you know, always going to be, the cent, you know, the central, uh, central spine to the whole book. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think the other characters, they're just sort of, yeah, they they just sort of uh, appeared around that around that spine, really. Um, I think there's, uh, but again, I, I I think there's, you know, because I grew up reading, you know, Dickens and uh, George Eliot at time, and, and I can see little sparks of those from the, from those books as well that it's sort of, you know kind of transmogrified in my subconscious and become this really so i can i can i can see little links to things i read when i was when i was younger and and yeah i don't know just for example you know some of the uh one of the characters reminds me of um what's uh what's some pip's uh stepdad called in um joe Joe, yeah, one one of the you know I've got some of the characters. One of the characters I'm like, oh, he reminds me a bit of Joe from Great Expectations, and you know things like that. And I'm like, oh, you know, so so I think there's there's been a bit of a blender deep in my subconscious that has probably had taken little aspects of of um, things that I loved from the time before and and sort of made them into something new. And you do, um, yeah, you you said that, and the characters just pop up around him in your mind and i'm like well that's not true you're being way too you're being way too humble because you breathe life into them for characters that you just described as just popping up around them in your mind you breathe life into them and it's well thank you but yeah no i don't don't feel i'm being humble i'm sort of being i'm also english so we you know we're wonderfully humble anyway that's what makes us so charming um (laughs) it's true i'm an american we're not yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm, I'm, I'm humble for an, for an American. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, th- I, I don't mean, I don't mean it. I think they, you know, they, they, of course, yeah, of course. But they, put, but they, they do sort of. I mean, they pop up in your subconscious alive, and 
you know, I've had, you know, experience as an actor, and I think it is just a sort of an instinct for a character. You know, you start feeling the, you know, the, the character, and, and then it might start off as a little germ, and then but very quickly you, you find that, that that little germ is actually accessing something that's already inside you and takes you down a very you know, filled-out route, really. Yeah, I know, I, know, I know you. I know how you think, because I'm the same way. I guarantee you, Every one of those characters, you know their entire backstory, and you know things about their personal lives that aren't even in the book or even hinted at. But you've made them that alive. As well, that's, that's that. good to hear that came across, yeah, because it's, it's always the, I think a, a book or a piece, is, it's always just the tip of the iceberg, and you hope, uh, you hope what's, you know, what's below the surface of the water gives, is, is somehow, you know, gives it, you like say, gives it more life, even though, um, even though people don't see it. Oh, I, I I see it. I can I can I can feel it in them. I mean, yeah. just you're not going through the motions. You're actually putting love into it, and that's beautiful. Well, I, th- I think I really feel when I'm when I'm when I'm you know when I'm writing generally that I it's it is almost the most I, it is very similar to reading in a way. It's almost like the most sort of intensely absorbed version of reading a lot of, for me a lot of the time you know you you are really experiencing the story very fully you know and, and so and it's kind of you, i think it's very weird being an author because you kind of you, you don't it's it's such a you know like if when i'm when i've done you know writing for tv or or um you know writing for live things and so you, you 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 kind of get you get the sense that other people are seeing it because you can actually watch other people seeing it whereas reading is such a such a sort of um, solitary activity that it's very easy to forget that other people are actually experiencing it, you know. You know, Same I'm story. glad you said that there because it's something I wanted to, 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 to touch on a bit. You mentioned writing for television. You've done some television writing. I don't know if you want to give your credits on here. Not particularly, no. I've got, but like, I've, yeah, I've done some television writing. I've got a... Uh, a movie that's um, that I'm just making at the moment for uh, Netflix that I wrote and, and will be directing and stuff. So I'm sort of uh, all right. Yeah. So now I hate you because you're doing everything I've been wanting to do for a long time, but I've been getting rejections on. So oh, well, I, I've I've spent uh, many many years getting those as well. So it's any yeah. consolation, um, I t- I too have spent uh, many years in that same place. But. You don't have to give the credits, but writing for television, you're usually writing with a partner or a team. And it's such a different process to writing a novel like this. Uh, did you, was it easy for you to adapt to that style of writing to just, um, I'm going well, by just, myself now? I, I think, I don't know if it's, um, maybe it's a bit, bit different in the UK because it's, you know, like comedy TV writing is not always so um, group dependent. There is, you can just, you know, you sometimes do write sketches on your own and things like that. So like I did do a lot of team writing, you know, when I first started, when I was at university, I was in a comedy group and, um, and I used to do, yeah. So I used to write as a, a team and it is a nice thing to, to write as a team. And I have been, you know, writing the, the film I've just been written as a team and it is nice, but it's, I don't know. It's just I, I find neither very problematic really anymore. But I think I've just been sitting so long in my I've spent so much of my life sitting there in front of the computer tapping keys that I've sort of finally got over all the right writer's block and you know all that part of it. And it's comes very easily now. 
Remember what I said about being humble? You just okay, blew it. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, okay. No, no, but I'm not <laughs> I'm not claiming what I'm coming out with is is any good. I'm just saying. No. Okay, now back to being British. Okay, there yeah. you go. You no, know, it's it is. It's brilliant, but 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 I just didn't say that. Of um, course. <laughs> I'm um, no, I but it's. I just mean the act itself doesn't really um, doesn't really uh, you know fill me with fear anymore. I'm trying. I'm trying to think about the transition because it's been a long. It's there's something very nice about. About writing with other people, I think, isn't there? Because it does. The not one of the nice things is it really slows you down in a way because you sort of have to have permission almost from the other person to carry on, which is kind of does make you sort of think a lot. But um, it's interesting, like with this 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 book, um, more so than the like the funny prose I've written, um, where you know it's been very joke based. Um, yeah, if it did, it was a lot slower. I just did find it find it a lot slower to write as I really searched for the way to sort of express, you know, what I was seeing in my head. So, so I guess, I guess um, maybe the, the difficulty you know, of writing it actually maybe had a similar effect <laughs> to having a partner in slowing me down and really making me uh, think about it. I don't know. So good question. As a comedy writer in England, were you inspired at all by any, american comedy writers or was it always the traditional british because it's two very distinct styles of comedy you kind of get a blend with the canadians they kind of have both mixed in but yeah i i would generally say most of my favorite comedy is american comedy nearly nearly all of it i'd say wow that's and and most of mine is either british or canadian so yeah yeah it's okay that's interesting yeah and i think i'm trying to think um Trying to think which British comics I like historically. I don't know. I, yeah, I think most of. I always felt it was more, you know, particularly old, older stuff. It always felt more sophisticated coming from America. I think, but again, like you've got, it's probably the same as you've had from from a British stuff. You you always get the best stuff from another country, so you never see the junk. You never see the the seven, the eighty percent that most people are watching. You know, it's it's the same with us now. And I don't know if you find this, Lauren, with with European TV shows. Where we suddenly we suddenly get all these mainland mainland Europe uh, TV shows that are that are just uh, fantastic, and and we yes. we're only seeing five percent of what they put out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because in America we only got like the top line, top of the heap British comedy, the real highbrow stuff like Benny Hill. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Benny Hill. Yeah. Did you, didn't get Terry and June or anything like that. No. We. Uh, but you know, we grew up. People like me in the 70s and into the 80s, we grew up on, you know, Monty Python reruns and then, of course, Faulty Towers. And, yeah. And, oh, well, that stuff's, that stuff's obviously amazing, yeah. Yeah. And so to us, that's what we think of as typical British humor. As I gotten older and became more of an Anglophile and started really searching things out, oh, there's brilliance out there. There's Rowan Atkinson brilliance, but then there's... Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. I probably, I probably know a number of people who are in those things that you're. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What were some of your favorite Americans comedians? My favorite Amer- American stuff. Um, well, I just think you just go, you go way back to like, you know, like old, the old comedies. Preston Sturgis is fantastic. You know, like we go like to the forties. You know, and you know the Lubitsch. You know, all these great comedy film writer, film writers. They're they're great and. Uh, 
to be or not to be. I can't remember who that is. Maybe that's maybe that's a great book. It's just I just think there's been a real history in American cinema of great comedy. Oh, and then you know, and then getting into the, I think some of the early Robert Altman films are very funny. I think. Um, yeah, uh, you know, obviously um, Elaine May did some great, you know, heart, her original Heartbreak Kid. It's just such a great history of in film, I think. And then I think there's also been, you know, all the all the great stand-ups co- pretty much come from America. Um, and then I think over the last kind of 30 years, most of the great sitcoms have come from America as well. There's been some good British sitcoms, but, but you know, Arrested Development, you know, Frasier. All these things, I think, were fantastic. Yeah, which is amazing because our seasons are so much longer than yours. Yeah, yeah. That so, you'd think you'd have the better shows because you have less episodes to cram your best material, and we have to spread it out. But we get some bad yeah. ones, too. I mean, come on. We also put out things like Two Broke Girls and things like that. So. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I've never seen that. Good. Don't. You'll hate America. <laughs> Was that was that was that the Whitney Cum- was that the Whitney Cummings show? I am Whitney. Two broke girls. It? Two bro- um, it's um Cat Dennings, um, and I can't remember. It's the it's it yeah, and a tall blonde girl. That's all I remember. Oh no, you just it was, I was right. It was created by Whitney Cummings. I was I was I was with her, uh, the same manager as her, briefly in Who America. Is actually funny. Yeah, she can be funny. She's she's on she's on and off, but not with that show. Not with that show. No, avoid that. Um, and that will never be a sponsor for us now, which is fine. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> the only sponsor I care about is Duff's Chicken Wings. And if you ever come to America, I'm going to take you to Duff's for chicken wings. Duff's Chicken, okay. Best is chicken wings range? in the world, Buffalo, New York. They don't sponsor okay. us, but I'm trying to get them to. It's worth a try. It's worth it. if you care, if you love something that much. I just want a bookshop to sponsor us, Brian. That would be amazing if a bookshop sponsored us. And and slightly more appropriate, you might think. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a fat guy. I like chicken wings. I'm an American. Can I tell you? I grew up watching Benny Hill. In all seriousness, book is very British. Okay. So to hear that you had these. Even though it's a different genre, a different style of writing, American influences is, is really, really wild. It kind of blew my mind because it's a very, as Lauren described it, it is so classic feeling. It's got that Britishness to it that, as an American, I'll call it that, that British feel. Mm. And it's, it, it's nostalgic and it's, it's wonderful. That that sounds like you the way you're saying that, Brian. It makes it sound like it's a bad thing. No, it's a think, good thing. <laughs> I think you mean it, it. It's very Dickensian in in the way that it's written. Yeah, but when I, I say Dickensian, people think I'm making a dick joke. <laughs> but it is. It's very. It's got that classic feel to it. It's. I don't know if you intended it that way. I can't picture you not intending it that way because it comes across that. Which is, which, no, which no, is, I did, definitely, 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 I did. I, I, I yeah, I, I wanted it to feel like, like a Victorian novel, but, but in a more, but, but also not feel. You know, I mean, I think some people would find, you know, I actually, as I've got older, I found reading Dickens a lot harder than I used to. I don't know if my brain's just got addled, but, um, 
the uh, yeah, I think I think a lot of the language is very unapproachable. So I'm, I'm hoping that it has that that feel, but at the same time is is more accessible and. Oh. It is a very approachable book, and I can definitely see it becoming um, a a set book in a in a, in a Gothic studies module somewhere in, oh, well, in that- some university. I, I think it is. It has that classic. I mean, Gothic fiction, and I think uh, Gothic fiction feel. And I think it's a good book that if you were to read it, and you were looking for something similar. Um, I, I think that you know you that you would see the type of reader being able to approach maybe Jane Eyre and other Gothic fiction yeah. in in a, in in a way. So I think it's a it's a book that shows that classics are for everybody and that they are approachable and and it's a it's a gateway book to the hardester. <laughs> Interesting. I think someone was tweeting though that there were uh, to the publisher that there were a few. Um, it was interesting. There are a few few bits that they ha- that found very difficult, and I don't think it's a very difficult book at all. But it's but again, it just shows how I think so for some people it is um you know it's very outside their their comfort zone, just maybe historical fiction in general. So, but yeah, so hopefully this is a gateway book to uh, the hardest stuff. That would be great. Yeah, and I think Lauren nailed it with that phrase. Uh, it's a gateway book to the harder stuff because it's got the elements, it's got the feel, but it's got a much more contemporary pacing it's like you say a much easier read um Mm. not in a negative way people i'm not saying it's an easy read as in a as in a put down i'm saying no the the it's the pace the pacing modern pacing that it's it's one of those books that's easy to like sit and read in one sitting because the pace is always spot on the writing is always spot on you know there's no bits there's no um for example there's no like you'd get in Tolkien, you'd get three pages on the description of a tree, or something like that. There, you know, there's always there's a, there's a briskness to it. That's you know, you're not rushing to finish it, but there's a brisk, there's a pace, and the beat is always spot on. Oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah, I think I think that probably comes from having done a lot of screenwriting before as well. So it's just my head is always very much in sort of gets the point, I guess. And now you're going to be directing. Is this going to be your first uh, film directing? Is this your film That's directing my first, debut? My first, my first feature film, yeah. yeah. Oh, see, now when are you going to find time to write another book? Well, Because we'll you see. have to. You can't leave us hanging now. See, I'll see how well this one goes down. If this one, if this one does well, then, then I'll do another one. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Do you think do you think Charles has another story to say or is he happy? No, it wouldn't be I, no, it would be a, about a different person, but it would be um I've had some other other kind of historically ideas going going through uh There is one character in the book that I would think could have their own novel. Because oh, yeah. I would really I'd really be interested to find out how they got into post mortem photography. How who's who, who, sorry? Bates. Oh yes, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because I think of uh, I think maybe this is my uh, well, maybe maybe this happens more in historical fiction. Um, but my I think my my history and having having read more of the classic texts, I kind of the idea of a, a, a spin off of a historical book feels quite weird to me. But I guess why not? No, it's twenty twenty two. That's that's okay now. Okay, maybe I'll, maybe I, maybe I'll have to think about the the Bates diaries. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because he is such a fascinating character. 
Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's, it's funny. My mother read it, and uh, she was, she hates any kind of swearing in, in anything. So she was, she was not very taken with him with his. In fact, he uses he used swear words. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I find him quite strangely charming and likable. Yeah, it's kind of like he's got so un. Like the swearing didn't. The swearing is. It is sort of part of the character development for me because it just shows he's got so unused to speaking with living people yeah 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 definitely that that his interior voice has become his exterior voice yeah yeah and also he i think there's a lot of charming people that swear a lot and he's very amusing because it's kind of like um he, he he's got his customer service face and then he's got his oh my god that person is so rubbish sort of thing and it's just like if any if anybody has worked in customer service they will find Bates very amusing <laughs> the original the original customer service yeah yeah it's just like when you uh, when you work in customer service you, this voice comes out of you and you don't recognize it it's your customer service voice <laughs> I worked, you know, I worked. I worked in a clothes shop for about three months after my A levels. Maybe that's where it came in. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think Bates is an intriguing character, and it and it it's um, because all of the photography items were so expensive, and all the you know the materials are quite precious. It would be interesting to find out how somebody like him would get the opportunity to have that in into photography when it yeah. really was somebody a rich man's hobby really yeah 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 that's just that's true i i yeah i think it's i think you know that his 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 uh you know his 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 in was that he was prepared to do the jobs that other people weren't yeah yes. which is always a good way because you get the, you ultimately end up with the best jobs yeah <laughs> maybe so yeah and, and Lauren pointed out that photography at this time. I want to go back to the history element of, of, of yeah, yeah, go, go, go. That photography at the time was not something that the common person did. This was a very expensive uh, art form, and it was an art form. It yeah. was not people listening that don't know history that well. Everybody didn't have a camera. Okay, there weren't that many photographers how did you go about the research of that i mean did you reach out to any uh photography historians or uh, i found someone uh, online who ran who who um they did a they run a website on on carte de visite which i think is something that came just just after these but they uh i was asking them about where you know about um about uh, you know if they knew anything about death photography, and they put me in the way of a of a uh, a book called Photography and Death, which was quite useful. But and I also I just managed to find a few few photography manuals, so I could sort of work out and uh, you know manage to do the research about how it happened. Um, yeah, so so I just you know I there's I managed to find find resources. It's very it was very difficult to find stuff on on you know post-mortem photography so you know there's there's sort of uh aspects of it you have to sort of try and fill in the blanks as i'm sure you do with any historical fiction you know when you when there's bits that aren't mentioned then you're just trying to work out how they would have been done and things and uh but yeah no so i i did become quite interested and i also i also wanted to sort of try and ha- give charles almost a sort of 
a sort of sense of aspiration for it that is more almost more modern i guess and uh well one um with with photography in general and i i kind of is it julia margaret cameron i kind of started finding her photographs which were and you know they were quite inspirational in terms of um you know uh where 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 i wanted wanted his aspirations for his photography to be it's quite interesting actually i'm just looking out my my window at my house and actually the house i'm looking at i found out afterwards was you know where I wrote, and I wrote some of the book up here as well is actually one of Julia Margaret Cameron's old houses. So, wow! <laughs> literally this, looking at somewhere right now that she she lived as we speak. Yeah, it, it's postmortem photography. It, it's and it's like you said, it's such a niche little part of photography, and at the time was so new. It was actually practiced more in America than in the UK at the time, although the UK were doing more crime scene photography mm. than the US. But it was a different style of photography, too. I was just wondering where you... Because when you describe it and talk about it, it makes sense to us. Something that not many people would understand or know about. I was wondering, where did you learn what you know about this? And that fascinated me well i think i think it's also just you know like you were saying it was such a even, even you know obviously a rich man's game a lot of time to take the photographs but also just most people would only ever have one photograph and you know like people would you know live their whole lives maybe have one photograph or no photographs in it so it doesn't make sense you know if, like touch wood touch wood my you know nothing will ever happen to my kids but if 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 something did you would be those you know, you treasure any photographs you have of them. So it makes sense why someone would want to do it almost, even though it is the most morbid thing ever. You know, you could sort of see, you know, if you'd suffered that kind of loss of just somehow just holding on to the, you know, that person, some, you know, in any way you could. Yeah, it's it's just such a incredible subject matter. And then to put it in historical fiction, just it, it's, it's mind-blowing. It was a pleasure to read. Like I said, you can't not, do another book now because we want one and what we want we get because me and Lauren are demanding and we want more 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 yeah. all, all we can do is tell lots of people about it so I feel like I can, uh, feel like I can justify spending the time to write one your publisher were they right away on board with the idea when you pitched it or did you have to like really sell this idea the book was all done, yeah. So it's so it's the book I just did off the off my own back. So it's um, yeah. So it's so so it's uh, it wasn't really like that. Oh, so yeah, you're just like, yeah, I'm me. I'm gonna write this in someone. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I kind of I kind of I think I approach, I think I approach a lot of things like scripts. Generally, I've I've done that, which is you know fi finally what finally working out with my film. You know the fact that I've you know I've I've written so many films that haven't haven't gone anywhere but but at the same time it means that i've actually you know written things that i am proud of and that i want to get out into the world so i don't feel like i'm ever you know um you know compromising and i do i have a slight you know i don't have a, com a completely uncommercial sensibility so I, I do want to write things that people enjoy and entertain people as well as that i think are good so hope hopefully uh hopefully if, if things get more successful i can uh still continue to write that way and uh not feel like I've got a panda too much. No, and they will get more successful. Like I said, I mean, the voice you have as a writer is tailor-made for success. It's that good. 
we are harsh critics of, of things we don't like. Trust us. Okay. <laughs> Your new film, I know you can't really discuss much. I'm sure there's non-disclosure agreements going on, but is it comedy? No, no, it's a thriller, a thriller. A thriller? Yeah, so, so, but I, I kind of, um, yeah, I haven't, I've got, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm mean, still interested in comedy. Comedy, comedy's going to be there, and uh, there's, I think there's a few funny moments in The Photographer. Yeah, well. There are. The, yeah. the only thing is, if you get the William Peter Blatty route, you're not going to be able to go back to comedy. Uh, you can always go. You can always go back. He couldn't. Could he not? It's okay. <laughs> Every time he tried to, you know, get, trying to get jobs writing comedy scripts again, people are like, "What? You wrote The Exorcist? You can't do comedy." He's like, "Yeah, but for the last thirty years, I did comedy." I think that's very unfair because some of the best horror has comedy in it, because the comedy disarms you, and then it's even more scary when the scary things happen. Yeah, sometimes something. I think there's just something nice about little moments of comedy in in, in other genres. Even even like with so many of the older uh, Spielberg films, you know, there's just always moments of always. humor all the time. You know, uh, just... horror needs comedy. All truly good horror or thrillers or anything needs moments of comedy. It, that said, the, ex- the Exorcist is, doesn't have any moments of comedy, does it? No, The Exorcist doesn't, but The Exorcist <laughs> is not a horror film, and I've made that argument multiple times. It's not yeah. a horror film. I don't know. You know when the phone rings, and it rings really loud, and it scares him, and he laughs? I think that's kind of comedic. A bit. <gasps> but, yeah. You know, but even a film like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre has moments of comedy in it, because they're needed. It's a fine line. You just don't want to go too far with it. Yeah, no, it's always a case of picking your moments when you want the text. You know, yeah, exactly. I think it's it's very important to to almost have the two things to to have one thing and then the other. You know, rather than trying to combine both. Sometimes I don't know. That's not true. Actually, like um, I think com- comedy horror can be good sometimes. But something like I don't know if you did you see the flight attendant? Yes. That so. See, I thought that was pretty bad and. Um, I really felt that the comedy and the the drama were just sort of completely at odds with each other, and neither were working. No, well, that's the thing. If neither work or only one works, it's going to destroy something. But the world doesn't yeah. have to worry about that now because E.S. Blake's around who can do everything. <laughs> You've proven that, making me want to hate you even more. But you're too nice a guy, damn it. Uh, this is just a, this is just a front. This is a this is a uh, a wet plate <laughs> photograph of my personality. Because everything you do is good. I'm going to do comedy. It's going to be great. I'm going to do this historical fiction that really captures Victorian moods. It's going to be great. I'm going to do a thriller. It's going to be great. I haven't seen it. I don't even know what it's about, but you know what I know? It's going to be great. Hey, it's probably going to be okay. It's probably going to be good, yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to say, <laughs> that son of a bitch. <laughs> Fucking hate him. He's so but nice. At the same time, at the same time, I have been uh, booed off stage many times in my youth. I've been taken out of the back of venues because people were threatening to hit me. Uh, <laughs> That's a badge of honor to a comedian. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I haven't, I've, I've, um, I, I've, I've suffered from my various arts over the years. The late Norm MacDonald once told me that a group of comedians that were all friends, him and three other guys, would have contests to see who could get booed off the stage fastest. <laughs> If they just didn't like the house or were in a weird mood, they're like, let's see who can get booed off first. It's a badge of honor. 
Yeah, yeah. No, but yeah. It, it, comedy, it, it, comedy is a serious business, as cliche as that sounds. You can't go into being a stand-up comedy and not have thick skin and not be able to take criticism and not be able to, like you said, deal with rejection, deal with anger as well as adulation. So, I mean, this is, once again, you've proved you're good at everything. So Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm very good at being rejected. Um, <laughs> I have got good at that. You've got, you hit the nail on the head there. And you've got an accent, which means you could, you know, come to America and everyone will think you're brilliant no matter what you say because of the accent. It's true. It's true. And that's, I'm, I'm, I, I tried to write the book with as much of an accent as possible so that it, so I could... I read it with an accent. More sophisticated than it was. I did. I read it with an accent in my mind. Good. I'm glad. Like I read Conan Doyle with an accent. It's always there. Should be there. And Robert Downey Jr.'s accent. <laughs> hey, he did do a good British accent when he played Chaplin. Did, did he, he did? He did. He did. Did he do one? Did he do one in the in the the show? Did he do a British accent? I can't remember in the films. Yeah, that, that's he did. how good he was at uh, Chaplin. <laughs> I didn't even know he wasn't British. You're right. Well, it's just that you don't realize he was putting on an accent in that film. He was no, so I just, good at it. It's just the films weren't that memorable. Oh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Chaplin? No, I mean... No, I mean the Sherlock Holmes. The, the, Sherlock, the, the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes films. Oh, oh, the Guy Ritchie Sherlock No, those were not memorable. No. But when he played Chaplin in Attenborough's film Chaplin. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not taking down as Chaplin. Chaplin could be taken down a peg or two, but uh just because there's some new there's a new autobiography, hasn't that come out? Oh they're not an autobiography, a new biography hasn't <laughs> it'd be impressive if a new autobiography had come out. A new biography came out of Chaplin uh hasn't uh, recently saying what a terrible man he was wasn't that I think. Well he was a terrible man but he was still a yeah. brilliant comic. Yeah. And I, I just just because I think his understudy was better than he was doesn't mean anything. It, you you know comedy. You know who his understudy was, don't you? Who was it? Stan Laurel. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Um, He's Stan and I Laurel's think Stan Laurel was a better comedian, but I don't know. They're both. They were both. Like Chaplin was a, Stan Laurel. Didn't did he? I guess he sort of he did a. Did a lot of the devising of the Laurel and Hardy stuff. Oh, he did it all. Wrote them, directed them, did everything, yeah. I think uh, Chaplin was a more brilliant man. I just yeah. think Laurel was a better comic. Maybe so. Okay, maybe so. Maybe he's maybe he's maybe he's funnier than Charlie Chaplin, that's true. Okay, you wanna have wanna have a British versus American throwdown now? Because I'll give yep. you Buster Keaton over Chaplin. Yeah, I would agree with that. Aha! See America wins. USA. USA. Well, actually, do you know what though? I would, I would maybe, I would maybe. I think again, I would say Keaton was a better comedian, a more inventive physical performer. But I'd say Chaplin was a better filmmaker. Yes, Chaplin was a better filmmaker because uh, Chaplin made, in my opinion, one of the one of the five greatest films ever made was made by Chaplin, and that was City Lights. Uh, okay. Uh, of all time. Uh, I think I, I need to watch that again. I kind of, in my head, Modern Times is better than that. Modern but, Times is great. City Lights, I think, is about as close to perfection as a film could get. Okay. I'll try, I'll, I'll, I will watch a restored version of that in my, uh, when I, you know, in August when I finish making my film. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, not until then. 
because all yeah. of a sudden you'll be putting chaplain routines in your film and it just won't work. Exactly. It will there'll suddenly be a silent bit and no one will make, won't make any sense. Now, I know uh, it's late over there, so we're going to try to cut it a little short, but I do want to, I, I got to go to the rapid fire question round. Okay, okay, okay. I'll, I, I, will, I, will, I will try and trample out my last vestiges of vestiges? Vestiges of energy. See how late it's getting? You can't say vestiges. You said transmortified earlier with no problem. Okay, great. Yeah. There's just so many words that I've never said it, that I never say out loud, and I, I just, I'm very aware of, and I never say them. So, here we go. There are no wrong answers unless you get one wrong, at which point I'll tell you you're wrong. Okay, okay I'm here. I'm ready. Question number one. Pluto, is it a planet or not? It's a dog. <laughs> Your favorite of the genres you've worked in so far, what has been your most personally satisfying, your favorite? Childcare. Oh, good answer. <laughs> That's not true at all. <laughs> no, I don't think it's I don't think it's true. I think you're full of shit, but I think it's a good Child, answer. Childcare is so unsatisfying. <laughs> Yes, yes, it is. Really is. Okay, next question. Oh, okay. Next question. Okay, we've discussed Chaplin and Keaton and the silent film comics and the writers that you appreciated in the 40s and 50s American film. Okay. Who were your show business inspirations growing up? Who were the performers that made you want to go into comedy or performance or writing? Growing up, growing up, growing up. Okay. So when I was a kid, I loved Fred Astaire. I loved Fry and Laurie and Jeeves and Wooster. I used to love Jeeves and Wooster. Um, loved uh, He-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I was into He-Man. Um, yeah, so I, I, what, did, I, what made me want to... Yeah, so so I I um one of the things that was a big influence in terms of making me want to go into performing, I think, was I went to my local library and they had a book on a place a thing called the Cambridge Footlights. Have you ever heard of the Cambridge Footlights? Mm-hmm. Yes. So it was a comedy group. So it was a comedy. It's a comedy group, group at Cambridge for everybody who's uh, listening who doesn't know what it is. And um, it was a book about their eighty years of of, of them or seventy five years or whatever it was. And um, and it just basically went through all the different people who'd been in it, like all the Pythons and up to Brian Laurie and, you know, and I just thought that's what I want to do. I want to go, I want to go to Cambridge and I'm going to be in that, I'm going to be a performer. So that's sort of, that was my big inspiration in terms of actually wanting to do it, I think. I also wanted to be, a, but I also really wanted to be a magician as well when I was younger. I wanted to, I was really into, um, I had some of my granddad's old magic tricks and really, I had the I had the aspiration of uh, starting the Egypt. There was something called the Egyptian Hall that Masculine and Cook ran, ran in the in, in in London, a big big magical music hall. And I was like, I'm going to start that. That's what I'm going to do when I'm older. I'm going to start the new Egyptian Hall and run a magic, a constant magic show. So those were, I guess, those were my two things that drug dragged me into performing. Yeah, and and Cambridge Footlights for our American listeners who are a little confused or unfamiliar with it. In America, the equivalent would be the uh, the Harvard Lampoon. Yeah, I guess in the so, National yeah. Lampoon, and then broke off into Second City and Saturday Night Live, and they all came up through the Harvard Lampoon. Is it? Did it? Is it not? I don't think it is. It quite as famous the Harvard Lampoon. I guess it probably is. Not it? anymore. Not really... No, not anymore. 
um, its offshoots became so much more famous. When it became National Lampoon, people forgot it was Harvard. And... Uh, okay, I didn't realize they were connected. That's interesting. Yes, that's where it came from. Yeah, oh, wow. That's interesting. I know so little. <laughs> well, you're British, you know. I know. You don't need our American history. Yeah, that's true. Um, in the final of the rapid-fire questions... Will you agree to come back on at any time? If you want to come on to discuss your film, if you want to come on to discuss any new books, any writing projects, anything you're doing, or if you just want to come on and talk about magic or comedy history or anything that interests you, would you be willing to come back on? Because we would be thrilled to have you any time. No. Good answer. Wow, Lord, that's the... Wow. Yeah, if, yeah, I'm joking, I'm joking. If I, if I had something, yeah, if I have something, I'd love to come back on if I have something, something interesting to talk about. feel, uh, yes, I, so I feel I, I will, I will if, if I were to, if I'm to make a film of, that would, would is historical, etc. I will, uh, you know, or, or rambles, I will be, uh, be, would love to come and talk to you. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and give us the details on the book, uh, where it's available, where you can get it. So I guess it's it's called the photographer. It's um, out with Marat. It's um, you can get it uh, from bookshops and from well, it's not out yet. I think it comes out next week. Um, and from Amazon, um, yeah. So I don't know how how much it'll be in bookshops in the states. It'll probably be mainly online that you can get it. Um, and uh, but over here, it'll be in Waterstones. It'll be in various places. So uh, yeah, just if it's not there, go and ask them for it. They will. Make them get it in, so I can sell more copies. That'd be lovely. Absolutely. And you're going to do a book tour. You're going to do some signings around uh, the UK. Um, there was a plan to do that. I don't know if it's going to happen now because of this. Um, because I'm I'm directing a film, so I'm not allowed to to do anything like that because I have to go and go and um, work with my crew and everything. You're shooting in the UK or in America or Canada or it, it, just over here, yeah, in the UK, yeah. yeah, just over here, yeah, just just just, just, just London. Like we're, we're 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 aware that we're we're second class citizens of the world. We all want to go there, and you're like, eh, just here, just London. Yeah. <laughs> I love London. That's my favorite city in the world. Oh, it's London. Yeah, it's it's a great city. I like my favorite city is probably Siena. Never been, but I'm putting it, it, it on my list now. It's lovely. I love yeah, but London is a great city. You know, the England is a great country. It's a and uh, and Wales too. Wales too. Sorry. <laughs> Well, uh, let's not go too far. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. Right? No, I think it's. I think it's the, the UK is. is yeah, it's, it's you know, it's it's a it's a great place. So, but it's you know, we're very we're very lucky to live on this planet. Um, so should, well, apart from all the horrible things that are happening everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Apart from that. Apart from that, everybody, you got to pre-order this book because it really is. I think, like Lauren said, it's going to become a modern classic. It's going to be considered in that classics of of, of gothic novels. We can't recommend it highly enough. Mr. E.S. Blake, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hope Absolutely. we can talk to you soon, and we can't wait to see your movie. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Lovely to speak to you. Lovely to speak with you, too. Yeah, bye. Bye. Oh, Lauren, how great was that? That was very great. I am so thrilled that I reached out because I saw I saw somebody had a preview copy and it looked very much my kind of book. And I knew that I had to reach out to the publisher and see if I could um, 
uh, get uh, ES Blick on, well on, and they were very generous and they sent me a copy as well because I don't mind just, you know, it was very, uh, very interesting just to have the author come on and speak with us, but they were very kind and um, I'd like to thank Ellie for the review copy because it was fantastic. Um, and I re- read it in days. It yeah, was gone. He, he is... Uh... He's a name to watch for, folks, because that's someone who's going to go on to be a pretty big name in entertainment. Well, we're saying that, and he might already be, because he wouldn't tell it. Well, obviously, he wouldn't speak about his credits. No, that which is fine. I mean, no, but no, which is which is fair enough because he's here to speak about his book. Yeah, and uh, he's great. What a great guy! I'm so glad he came on. And again, Lauren, great job at. Uh, track it down there publisher getting that book and, and getting that set up see it's it's um it's bookshop skills <laughs> that's right bookshop skills well on that note it is kind of late so i guess we should call it a show what do you think yes we should all right so thank you again everybody and from buff brian buffalo from brian in buffalo <laughs> lauren and swansea good night good night Buffalo and Brian.